0: You're listening to a Richwood Church Podcast. Well, I am super excited that I get to introduce our guest for the day. Ben Pierce is a member of the Steiger International Leadership Team. He is also creative director for Come and Live. And in his spare time, he is the lead vocalist and guitarist for No Longer Music. Join me in welcoming Ben Pierce to the platform today. Good morning. Uh, It's a huge privilege to be here. Uh, This church in many ways is is very much part of our history uh, in a lot of different ways. I know my brother and and some of his team they they office out of here Uh, and uh, for those of you that, that have been here long enough you probably heard us at some point making a lot of loud noise. Uh, rehearsing with no longer music, either on the stage or in the uh, gym, so we're really grateful for your partnership. Uh, you have you know, those are very practical ways, but you've very much partnered with us in, in uh, bringing the love of Jesus all over the world. And so it's always an honor for me to be able to come to a church like this and share with you uh, what God is doing and maybe what He's put on my heart. Um, so yeah, I'm part of a missions organization called Steiger. Uh, it was started by my parents in the '80s. They moved to Amsterdam with youth with a mission. And their heart was to reach the punks and the anarchists. This was the dominant social movement of the time. Uh, This punk rock music, and they're against the establishment and against politics and religion. Uh, And they they were very rebellious and, and saw the church as an outdated tradition of the past at best, if not a tool of oppression. You know, they would see these big, beautiful cathedrals on Sunday, and they were empty, You know, and and religion was just something to limit them and inhibit them and something that they had to fight. It was something that that was an an abuse of power. and, And they were asking themselves, how can we reach people like this? You know, they're not coming to the church looking for answers. And so they started a Bible study on a boat right in the heart of the city. And all these young people were coming and giving their lives to Jesus. This is where my brother and I were born in Amsterdam. I still remember running around on this boat as a little kid and they started no longer music, which was a, a way to get into secular places, clubs, and venues, and festivals, uh, to lift up the name of Jesus in a relevant way. Uh, to cut a very long story short, uh, God poured His power out onto this ministry. Uh, there's amazing, miraculous stories, and eventually it grew uh, in Europe and, and around the world. And today we have a worldwide missions organization. Uh, that's in over 13 countries, we have around 100 full-time missionaries and many, many thousands of volunteers, and we reach and disciple the global youth culture for Jesus. Uh, this is sort of a fancy way of saying young people outside of the church, 17 to 35, every major urban center all over the world, this is not a fringe demographic. This is more than a billion people worldwide. These, these are the young people right outside of this church. This church who are increasingly post-God, increasingly post-modern. They're dominated by the the kinds of uh, media they're consuming, the social media that they're on. They're very homogenous. It's amazing. I go all over the world, and everywhere you go, people look the same. They're dressed the same. They speak the same. But they're also unified in the way that they look at the world. You know, there's this weird dichotomy where they, they reject religion and they reject absolute truth, and yet they're unified around two very much absolutes, which is very contradictory. So they, they believe in secularism, or, or they're characterized by secularism, which is death to religion. So, sort of like the early days in Amsterdam, the global youth culture see religion as an outdated tradition of the past. You know, something their parents did or their grandparents, but it's not relevant for them. And then there's relativism, and this is the death to truth. You can go out into the streets of Minneapolis or on the University of Minnesota campus and You ask someone what's right or wrong, and it's almost ubiquitous, the response, and that is that it's up to me, it's up to you, right? It's absolutely relative to what you want to believe. Of course, this is impossible to actually live out, but this is the dominant way that people look at the world. Truth used to be something outside of ourselves that could arbitrate between human preference, um, but now truth has been reduced to something like fashion. Whatever you like is fine for you, just don't tell me how to live, And so the global youth culture are dominated by secularism and relativism and needless to say they're not coming to the church looking for answers. But ultimately they weren't really coming to the church they weren't really coming to Jesus in his day. He modeled for us that we have to go to them. Right? He would spend so much time with sinners he'd be accused of being one himself. Jesus modeled for us that to be like him is to be outside of the church. Yes, we need the church and we want people to grow here. But the work of reaching people is out there. And that is our heartbeat in Steiger, is we want to be doing ongoing evangelism and discipleship in urban centers all over the world. And we do this by establishing city teams. This is really our heartbeat. We, we have city teams right now in 13 different countries around the world. We have a vision to have 100 of these by 2025, including 10 here in the U.S. We're launching one in Minneapolis in the fall. And these city teams are comprised mostly of people from their own country who are passionate about reaching those uh, outside of the church, we use lots of different ways to do it street outreach, music and art, uh, community houses, apologetic nights, uh, informal Bible studies. We do all these different kinds of things uh, so that people could, could know and, and come into faith in Jesus. Uh, that is our heart. A few ways that you can connect with us uh, we launched a brand new YouTube channel a couple of months ago called Is There More. Um, the whole heart of this is to create compelling, high quality video content that would challenge secular thinking ask some of the major questions of life, uh, and get people to, to, to view their, their, uh, their beliefs a little bit more critically and, and uh, start conversation. Uh, it's done in a very presuppositional way, in a very creative way that's going to be disarming, uh, but I really think it will lead to conversation. It could be a great tool for you uh, if you look that up and you can share that. That's um, a way to start a conversation with someone that maybe doesn't believe, but this could uh, begin that conversation. You can just look it up. If you type, is there more, uh, lowercase one word, if you space it out, you'll get to a Drake song. I mean, if you like that, that's cool, but uh, that's not our YouTube channel. Uh, so check that out and subscribe, um, and you can uh, share that content and I think be encouraged by it. Uh, we also have a weekly podcast called Provoke and Inspire. Uh, and this is, a, like I said, a weekly conversation, about 45 minutes to an hour. It uh, features myself, my dad, David Pierce, and our European director, Luke Greenwood. Uh, it's, uh, the whole heart of it is how can you be faithful for Jesus outside of of the church, this is for Christians of all ages. Uh, I think it's pretty. It can get fun and, and kind of lighthearted in the beginning, but then it gets very, very serious. Uh, we're, we've been able to interview some of the most amazing thinkers throughout the Christian world. We just had Dr. Tim Keller on. Uh, we've talked to some amazing people uh, who have really challenged us to to be faithful for Jesus outside of the church. Uh, so consider looking that up if you're a podcast type. Uh, otherwise, Jesus in Secular World is a book that I wrote and released in November last year. If you want a little bit more information, you want to dig into our DNA a little bit more and and find out more about what we believe and and what we've seen God do, um, I would check that book out. We ask for a $10 donation. If that's a barrier for you, just go ahead and grab one. Uh, But We have a bunch of them out there for you to check out. Uh, What I want to do now is I want to share, uh, show you a a short video of a tour that we did last summer with No Longer Music. We actually did several short tours, about two weeks long, uh, and this was the first one we did in May last year of the Baltics. Uh, and it was an incredible tour. It's a very cold place, both literally and spiritually. Uh, and we encountered a lot of opposition, but we also saw God do amazing things. And I want to show you this because you have been a part of that. This church has supported us. Uh, and when God moves in power, I think we should celebrate that. Uh, and I also think it sets up the context of what I'm about to say because I want you to see everything or hear everything that I'm going to say through the lens of the powerful God that we serve. That though there are great problems, he is more powerful, that he who's in us is greater than he who's in the world. And I think it's so critical for us to sort of set our minds on that and remind ourselves uh, as as I kind of go over some of the challenges that we face in our culture today. So go ahead and show that video. just about music for us Uh, we really are passionate about a message because art is always communicating some sort of message. You know, no artist sets out to make music that no one cares about or says nothing important. Good art should challenge lies and should tell the truth. And everywhere we go, and we've been all over the world together. We feel that people believe the same lies about life. You know, everyone's the same because of the internet and social media, everybody's the same today. They think if they can have the perfect image, or lots of money, or lots of experiences, they will will be satisfied. There isn't any set purpose, like, no stereotype, like, what is the purpose of life. My goal of life is just to live a good life, like, no negative emotions. Well, not a lot of them, but just to live a good, nice life and have some nice memories. You need to have purpose in life just so that you wouldn't die of boredom. People would make problems and solve them just to avoid boredom. Purpose in life is not really necessary, but it's nice to have one. Okay. And we use all of the visuals because we want to communicate that people are not accidents, they're not just animals. They were made for more than gaining things and growing old and dying. This is not the purpose of life. They're created by a God who loves them can forgive them for the bad things that they've done, who, who really cares. And he proved this by sending his son Jesus to, to come, to live and to die and to, to raise again. And that is why we use all these, these visual mediums to show this powerful message to the beautiful Lithuanian people. Because they deserve to be free. very <laughs> It was amazing, Ibra, I'm uh, a lot of feelings, I had a terrible childhood, no siis mä vaan rukesin itkemään, kun mulla tuli niin paljon kaikkia mieleen. Jumala, kiitos etä rakastat minua, kiitos et sä olet. Haluan tuntea sinun henkilökohtaisella tavataan, Jeesus tulee minun elämään. Näytä et sä olet tulla, minä haluan että minun on tuntea sinua. Sinun rakkaus. And <laughs> the name of the same man. Yes, it's the name of the almond. Yeah, Mr. Almond. It's not an accident that I'm here to think. I feel it's like God's side to me. That's something. You know, I'm passionate about evangelism. I, I know that that is why I'm here, to tell people about Jesus, to inspire others to do the same. That's such a burden on my heart. Even a few nights ago, uh, the guitarist from Corn invited us to come to a show at the Excel Center on Friday night. Uh, and he gave us 15 backstage passes and he said, you know, go out into the crowd and, and really ask the Lord to lead you to people that you think are ready to hear uh, that would want to be encouraged and hear my testimony. And so, we went out into the crowd, ten thousand people, uh, and, and really asked God to to show us. And Steve and I, who's back there as part of our our team. We went up to two young guys, looked like in their in their late teens, and um, you know, we said, "Hey, we're from Cornscrew, and we'd, we we want to know if you want to meet Brian. You want to come backstage and hear about his testimony and, and what you know what, what's going on in his life." And they were they a little bit combination of suspicion and uh, shock, um, but they accepted him, and and uh, these fifteen people gathered. And, and Brian was able to very clearly share his testimony, tell them that Jesus loved them, and Steve and I went up and talked to these two guys, and uh, you know both of them shared how, how much they had been hurt by religion. One of them said he had tried to kill himself, and when his dad found out, he said that his dad, his dad told him he was going to go to hell because of that decision. And uh, the other one said the same thing, that he grew up in this very oppressive religious home where he was told he was never good enough, um, and that he was not accepted for who he is, and, and Steve and I were able to share who Jesus really is and how much he loves them and how much he cares for them. And, and we connected with him afterwards and Steve's going to try to meet up with them. But my heart was so uh, broken for these kids. You know, they're everywhere. They're outside of these walls and they're open. And we so buy into the lie that they don't want to hear, that they're so opposed, that they're so unwilling. And yet, in my experience, when we have the courage to share who he is, it is incredible how open, how ready the harvest is truly plentiful, but the workers are few, and this breaks my heart. What I've experienced is, just like there is a wide road and a narrow road as it relates to salvation, I've also experienced that there seems to be this wide and narrow road as it relates to your calling. Yes, God saves you. Yes, God loves you. But there's also this life that you have to live right here and right now. And I believe that God has a radical, amazing, incredible, life-changing adventure for you, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have it. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to walk it out. In Ephesians 2.10, it says that God prepared you and I for good works in advance. And these good works aren't just religious activities, things we check off of a list or to sort of appease our our sense of guilt. These These are works that will change the world eternally. God has prepared every single person for these eternally impacting world moments. But just because he's created for you for those doesn't necessarily mean you will experience that. Why? Well, perhaps it's lack of faith. Right? Sometimes I, I feel this burden from God, or I feel like God's prompting me to do something, or take a radical step, or give in a generous way, whatever it is, but I just don't know how it's gonna work. I see all of the problems, all of the obstacles and barriers, and I'm overcome with fear and anxiety. I'm like, ah, oh, God, it can't be, it's too much. I don't think I can do anything. And we put it off, and we put it off, and 10 years goes by, and nothing's changed. Or maybe we become seduced by the the pursuits of the world. You know, we start off maybe when we're new believers, and we want to make a difference. We want to reach our whole family, or our neighborhood, or our our school. But then all of a sudden, that, that lifestyle looks pretty good. That career looks pretty good. Those things look pretty good, and we make little decisions, little sacrifices, and we wake up 10 or 20 years later, and we look like everybody else. We go to church on Sunday, but our lives have no impact on the world. We become seduced. But there's another enemy of impact I want to talk about this morning. And you can find it in Mark 4, verse 18 and 19. It says this. Still others like seeds sown among the thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, that's the lack of faith. The deceitfulness of wealth. Right? The, the, The seduction of the world's patterns or the desire for other things comes in and chokes out the word, making it unfruitful. I want to talk about this third reason why the seed goes unfruitful. This desire for other things. This one, in a weird way, stands out to me, because unlike the first two, this one's less obvious. Of course, if I lack faith, if I never take any risks, if I never take any steps, I'm not going to see God move. Of course, if I choose the world's patterns rather than God's, I'm not going to see God move. But what about this third one? The desire for other things. I find this one interesting because it's presented in such neutral terms. It's not desire for selfish things, or evil things, or human things. It just says other things. And I think this is significant because more often than not, it's ordinary things that will rob you of the calling God has in your life. It's conventional things. It's the kind of thing that society and your church and your family might even say, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, you don't need to take that risk. Oh, that's, that's the smart, responsible thing to do. And in my experience, it's often these kinds of decisions multiplied over time that rob you of the significant call that God has on your life. So what do I mean? Well, I want to talk about two trades, two conventional trades, two, two ordinary things that every Christian, that, that including myself, is going to be tempted to make as we leave here today and go on in our our faith journey, we're going to be tempted to make these two trades. And making these trades have a significant impact on the fruitfulness of our lives. The first trade is obedience for comfort. God has this narrow road calling for you. He has this, this kind of call that says, if you hold on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose everything for me, you will find real life. He has this kind of calling for you. But so often we trade that sort of narrow road that he asks us to take, For something wider, more conventional, we trade obedience for comfort. In Luke 9, 57-62, Jesus gives us some insight into just what it takes to follow him. He says this, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This would have been a very disheartening thing to hear. Right? The Jews were expecting a conquering king that was going to come in and kick out the Romans and bring in this period of glory. The Romans understood power, strength, and might, and prestige. And so this Jesus figure that rises on the scene says, you know what? Often I don't even have a place to sleep. That was kind of disappointing. This is not what they were hoping for, but you see Jesus was illustrating something that a fruitful life has nothing to do with your comfort. A successful life has nothing to do with having all of your physical needs met. God knows you need a place to sleep and food to eat, clothes to wear, but if we want to see God do something significant in our lives, our obedience to him, my obedience to him needs to extend beyond having all of my physical needs met. And our culture is obsessed with our physical needs. For most of us, I'm not even talking about the basics, those things we take for granted. I'm talking about all of these other things that we pursue in the name of keeping up with those around us, that we, we buy into this cultural paradigm that we live in that says we need these things. Not that we even want them, but we need them. And we have an entire corporate strategy that just is designed to prey on your insecurities, to make you feel inadequate until you have what everyone else has, and it's a vicious cycle that never ends we impose this impossible standard of living on ourselves, we don't even recognize how absurd it is anymore. Consider the phrase, starter home. When the majority of the world doesn't know where its next meal is coming from, we expect that that first house is just a stepping stone to something bigger and better. How ridiculous. And yet we've bought into this culture and it's choking out our ability to follow Jesus in a radical way. And the irony is, many of us don't even have the money to do so. And we are in debt. We are in over $800 billion of credit card debt in this country. We buy and we buy and we do it at such a rate that we can't even fit it into our houses. Studies show that the average home size in the U.S. has more than doubled in the last 50 years And still, one of the fastest growing industries in this country are storage units. There are more than 500,000 storage unit facilities in this country. That's more than Starbucks. And we don't even recognize it anymore. And yet, these things, these patterns, this stuff, this lifestyle is choking out our ability to hear and respond to the call of Jesus on our lives. And if you're young, you're saying, I don't buy into that big house, big car. That's not me And yet we've bought into the consumption of lifestyle and adventure and projection, image. It's still consumption and it's still choking out the radical calling God has on us. The passage goes on. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go proclaim proclaim the kingdom of God. In this example, the man wants to follow Jesus. Jesus but he wants to do so in his own timing. You know, and it seems like a pretty good excuse, right? I mean, let me go bury my father? Now, historians differ on whether the father was dead, dying, or just entering the season of life, but what is clear is that this was a very acceptable excuse. The kind of excuse a lot of people would say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You should go do that. Culture applauded that decision, and yet Jesus reacts pretty harshly and says, no, you follow me now or never. And this can seem like an intense response, but how often does God put that calling on your life? How often does God say, take that step, make that decision, and then we say, but first. Yes, Jesus, but first. I want to respond. I want to take that step, but first. I got to get my education. I got to get that spouse. I got to get to that level. I got to get my business in order. I got to figure this all out. And have all, the, all of the plans in place. And I'm telling you, you never run out of but first. And I'll tell you something else, you'll never have what you need. That's how it works. You know, it's like we look at the story of the five loaves and the two fish and we think the point of it is, okay, how am I going to maximize the five loaves and two fish and get them all prepared and ready to, to distribute them in a, really, in a really good way, in an efficient way? You know how, much do, how small portions do I need to divide it into to, to meet all the needs? Is it, that's the point of the story. What the point of the story is you have, it's pathetic what we have to offer God. I don't have anything. I'm woefully inadequate in, in light of the problems that I face, and yet God still says, "Give what you have to me and let me do the multiplying." But we have to go. We have to step. You'll never run out of butt first. Another passage, the passage goes on and says, still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. In this last example, the man uses his family, but more broadly, the season of life that he is in is an excuse to not follow Jesus. Following Jesus requires single-mindedness. Nothing comes before him. Like Augustine says, we need to properly order our loves. But let me tell you, when you put Jesus first, your family is blessed. And as someone who grew up in a missions home, I'm so grateful that my parents didn't say, you know, that crazy stuff we did in Amsterdam, that was all well and good before we had kids. But now we need to sort of settle down and do the normal thing. And they had plenty of people telling them that. In fact, they had friends who did that exact thing, packed up, went home. And I'm so grateful that my parents said, No, if he can provide for us, he can provide for them as well. If he calls us, he calls them. If he has a plan for us, he has a plan for them. They took that risk. And because of that, I got to see obedience in practice, I got to see faith in action, and it has revolutionized my life. So many followers of Jesus fail the test of the seasons, they're radical when they're young. They're radical when they're single and then they get married. They settle down. Maybe they persevere and then they have kids. Then it really becomes hard. I know. It's always about the season that we're in. God, I'm too young. God, I'm too old. God, I'm single. God, I want to be married. God, I'm married. God, I want kids. God, I have kids. It's always about the season, and you will never run out of seasons that seem like barriers to following Jesus in a radical way. But I'm telling you, following him has nothing to do with going anywhere. You don't have to fly to a different country. There is a radical version of your life exactly where you are in your season of life, in your context. It will not be easy, but do not fail the test of the season. There is no retirement in Jesus. We don't just work. It doesn't work like that. It's, it's, Full time, all the time, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. Jesus has a radical version of your life. First major trade I'm tempted to make outside of these walls is obedience for comfort. The narrow road for the conventional path. Jesus is not going to love you more. You're not going to earn your salvation, but I promise there is an incredible amazing, adventurous life waiting for you. You know, I find it funny. We want to see God move and yet we manufacture every risk out of our lives. We never put ourselves in a position where God needs to show up. When's the last time you've prayed? I don't know what's going to happen. If you don't show up with me, I'm in trouble. I think Christians should be praying those kinds of prayers all the time. God, I don't know about this. Please be here. I don't know if this makes sense. I'm going for it. You better show up. Second trade, truth for acceptance. You know, today you hear it said, the cross is love. And it looks really great on bumper stickers and coffee mugs, but what a worthless statement. If we do not define what love is, that means nothing to our culture. We don't know what love is anymore. Love is taking. Love is cheap. Love is self-focused. It's even synonymous with lust in our culture. And yet so many Christians, we stop short of telling people the truth who Jesus really is, what he really did, what he really came for. We sell people short by reducing Jesus to inspirational testimonies and positive messages, palliative messages that that are about love. Why? For many Christians, the gospel's gone out of style. It's too hard. You know, it's like I said, people perceive the relativism and secularism of their workplace and their neighborhood and their school, and they think, man gospel is too hardcore. It's too against the grain. It's too upstream. I can't do that. And so we change it. We modify it. In the art world where I live, it's just absent altogether. It's just too old school, too hardcore. And so you don't hear it anymore. And today it's more, like I said, about life transformation or inspirational testimonies. You know, we love to talk about the alcoholic that no longer drinks or the drug addict that no longer uses. And that's great. When Jesus comes into your life, absolutely he changes you. But following Jesus is not about being a cleaner person. It's not about taking dirty people and making them clean. It's about taking dead people and making them alive. When we tell people that following Jesus is just about morally improving to program for behavioral change, we totally misunderstand the gospel which says you can't do anything to earn God's love. Every other religion says, earn your way to God. Do these rituals. Perform these prayers. Give this much. Attain this level. Jesus is the only one that says, you cannot do it. I will come to you. I will come to you. And the whole, their whole lives, these two young guys at the corn show had heard, you are not enough. You need to look this way. You need to perform these rituals. You're not enough. And Jesus says, I love you. I created you. I died for you. I want to know you. I want to do in you what you cannot do for yourself. This is the gospel. And yet we've been selling people short by limiting Jesus to a program of behavioral change. This cheap pop culture, Oprah Christianity that demands nothing and has no impact on the world. That makes no difference. Or one thing you hear a lot in our culture today is follow Jesus and he'll give you your dreams. What is it you want to do? God doesn't care. He'll sign the bottom of the contract. He just wants you to be happy. There's no sacrifice. There's no cost. And it's this cheap cultural Christianity that has no resilience in the face of true life and real adversity, and it leaves people totally crippled for the real world. And yet I think, I've think i seen so many Christians who hasn't been tempted. It's so difficult, and, and so we shy away from the real gospel message, and, and we don't have the impact that we desire to have. We bought into this lie that the gospel doesn't work anymore. And my dad was speaking at a Christian youth event and the youth worker said, this Christian youth worker said, hey, can you give a positive message, not an evangelistic one? It it sounds funny and and it's weird to hear it vocalized so consciously, but that is how we, that fear this idea has so pervaded the church. Whether we are willing to admit it or not, the cross has disappeared. And because of that, so has the power because Paul made it abundantly clear where there is no cross, there is no power. It's the cross. I'm telling you, I have seen the cross lifted up in some of the darkest places you can think of and it is incredible. It's like dynamite. And here's the truth. It's always been hard to share. It's always been foolish. You know, we can think that we live in a, a unique cultural time where it's more difficult. And Yes, there's unique challenges, but the cross has always been difficult to share. Paul said that. Right? We preach Christ crucified, stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. It's always been hard. And I think in the church, we want to see the early church, their miracles. We just don't want any of their riots. We want all the supernatural power. We just don't want any of the persecution, any of the difficulty. And what I've experienced is that riots and miracles go together. And that yes, it's hard, but it's also incredible and that's when you see God move. When I leave this place, I'm going to be tempted to make two trades, obedience for comfort and truth for acceptance. And I think the fact that this trade has been made so many times is largely why the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And I think it's largely why we're not seeing God move outside of the church like I know we want to, like I know this church wants to. And I know God is using many of you in powerful ways. This is not about, this is not a condemning message, this is not a A harsh message. I think this is a call to not waste your life. This is a call to to experience the fullness of what God has created you to have. Let me close with this. Jesus gives a story in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, of four servants and a master. And the master gives the servants talents. And three out of the four invest it well, but one does not. And he's upset with this one servant. He calls him a wicked, lazy servant. Here's the big idea. If you drove here today, if you woke up and didn't worry about whether there'd be food in your fridge, you are in an elite category of the world. I am in an elite category of the world. What will we do with all that has been invested in us? And that's just material, what about spiritual? People are being destroyed out there. People are being deceived. 10,000 people at this corn concert being destroyed by the lies of the world and the choices they're making. But we are sitting here comfortably and we know the truth. What will we do with that gift? What will we do with the opportunities we have? Again, this isn't about shame or condemnation. This is an invitation to an imperfect but incredible journey and a radical calling that God has on your life. And it will never be easy and you will never feel like you have enough. I was on tour There's no longer music in Brazil, and uh, we had a follow-up meeting we were driving to. Now, follow-up meetings we do after our big performances. We invite those that want to respond to hear more um, and to uh, connect with the local church. Um, But our bus took a lane that was not intended for the height of our bus, and we hit a steel beam overhanging the highway at 60 miles an hour, knocking a huge hole in the the top of the bus. It was was incredibly dramatic. Like, a bomb went off. Needless to say, we had to get out and unload everything, and we had to... We were trying to decide, do we still go to the follow-up meeting or do we just bail? Um, We were all quite shaken up, but we felt like, no, we needed to go. And uh, so we we got a bunch of cars and we drove there and as we got closer, I asked my promoter, where are we going? Because normally we do these follow-up events in a cafe or some sort of neutral environment indoors, um, but it seemed like we were just driving to the beach. And he said, oh yeah, kind of a change of plans. We decided we were going to go to this rock, it's this big rock, it overlooks the beach in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, and it's a place where tourists and people gather to celebrate the sun. It's like a pagan ritual. And we were thinking we'd just play a few acoustic songs and then you would just preach. I was like, what? This was not part of the plan? I was exhausted. I was, my skin was still burning from the fiberglass that exploded in the bus. I was feeling inadequate and weak and human. And I was saying to God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But as we made our way up onto this rock, I felt like God said, When else are they going to get the opportunity to hear about me? And so I said, God, this is going to be foolish and I don't know what to say, but I'll do it. And as the last song ended, I opened my mouth and I said, You know, I know that you're here to celebrate the sun, but you could leave here tonight knowing the one who made the sun. You are not some accident, you're not the result of an explosion in the sky. But you were created by a good father who loves you and who didn't just talk about love like so many people do. He demonstrated it. And I explained the gospel and how they could know Jesus. And all these people raised their hand and prayed out loud with us to receive Jesus on that rock in Rio de Janeiro. And I remember laying in my bed that night, exhausted, but satisfied because I knew this is why I'm here. This is why I'm on this earth. Christianity is not just about coming to church and being a little bit more moral than other people. This is not what it means to follow Jesus. We tithe a little bit and we go to a few less R-rated movies. This is not what it means to follow Jesus. God has saved you and set you on a path to change the world in ways that are so far beyond your abilities it's going to blow you away. I am living proof that God uses normal, ordinary people. And I'm not done yet. I'm not satisfied. I'm preaching to myself up here. I don't want comfort. I don't want acceptance. These are cheap lies and a terrible substitute for the calling that God has on your life. Amen? Jesus, I thank you for your mercy. That though I fail and fail and fail again, you pick me back up And you say, let's go. Thank you that you use normal people, ordinary people like me, Lord, and you demonstrate your power to a world that then can't deny you. So use this church even more to, to radically impact their families, their neighborhoods, their community, the city for you, Jesus. Thank you for your mercy. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. We encourage you to receive the message that was just given and let the Lord do a mighty work in and through you. For more information on how to connect, give to this ministry, or for more faith-based resources, visit us at myrwc.org.